We're in the book of Nehemiah this morning. The book of Nehemiah tells an amazing uh, story. Uh, God's people had turned away from him. Uh, They'd sinned. And God had repeatedly called them back to him. Uh, He had warned them that punishment was coming. And he had given them chance after chance to, to repent and come back to him. But they had ignored his pleas. And so God sent his punishment. He sent the Babylonians to come, and uh, they destroyed the capital city of the Jewish nation, Jerusalem, uh, destroyed the house of God, the temple that was there, and they carried many of the Jews away captive. Uh, and when we're reading in the book of Nehemiah, that punishment had run its course. Again, God had warned them the punishment was coming, and God had warned them that it was going to last for 70 years unless they repented, and they didn't repent, and so the punishment came, and now the 70 years were past. There was already a group of Jew, Jewish captives that had come back and rebuilt the temple. They'd come back under a man named Zerubbabel and rebuilt the house of God, but the walls that encircled the city, uh, which provided protection, and, and again, we might not think of it much today, but back in that days, if you didn't have walls around your city, uh, you were open uh, to any sort of attack from anybody that wanted to come after you. And so even though the temple had been rebuilt, uh, the walls around the city were still demolished. They still uh, laid in ruins. Nehemiah was one of the Jews that had been carried away captive. He was now the cupbearer to the conquering king, not the Babylonian kings, the Medes and the Persians had taken over by now, but the ones that had the Jews in captivity, he was the cupbearer to the king. Now, a cupbearer was a pretty good job, as long as everybody was getting along with the king. Cupbearer was one that tasted anything the king drank or anything the king ate before he ate it. And as long as everybody was getting along with the king and liked the king, that was a good job. I mean, you were part of the king's household. You got to eat the king's food and drink the king's wine. But if somebody got mad at the king, the preferred uh, method of getting rid of the king was poison. And if you were the king's cupbearer, when somebody was trying to get rid of the king, there was some inherent risk in the job that you had tasting the food and drinking the wine before you gave it to the king. And so Nehemiah had this position. Some men came back from Jerusalem, some men that had gone back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple, and Nehemiah asked him, well, how goes it? How, 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 how goes it with you all that have returned? How goes it with the city, Jerusalem? And here's what the men said. You read this in Nehemiah chapter 1, the first few verses. They said, the people in Jerusalem are in great affliction and reproach. The walls of Jerusalem are broken down and the gates are burned with fire. Again, back in that day, if you didn't have walls, you didn't have protection. If you didn't have protection, you had no peace. You had no stability. And so you had great affliction. And then you had reproach. And it was a a reproach not only to the Jews, but it was a reproach to God, because people looked at the Jewish uh, city of Jerusalem, they looked at what was going on in Jerusalem, and here's what they said about the Jews' God: He must not be much of a God. He can't even protect his own people. Anybody can come in and loot the city. Anybody can come in and attack the city. He must not be much of a God if he can't even protect his own people. 
And so when Nehemiah heard this report from Jerusalem, the Bible said that he wept and mourned certain days, and then he fasted and he prayed. And, he, and here's what his prayer was. He said, Lord, you need to help. You need to help your people. You need to help your city. Send somebody to Jerusalem to remove this great affliction, to remove this reproach that's not only on us, but on you. We've always said around this place that you need to be careful what you pray for because God may decide you're the answer to the prayer that you're praying. And that's exactly what happened to Nehemiah. He had prayed for help for Jerusalem, and God said, Okay, Nehemiah, you're the one I'm going to send back. You're the one I want to go back and lead the people in rebuilding the walls. God touched the king's heart, gave Nehemiah favor with the king. He allowed him and gave him permission to go back to Jerusalem. He provided safety and protection for his travels back to Jerusalem. He also provided resources from his own coffers to pay for some of the materials that were used to rebuild the wall. And so Nehemiah goes back to Jerusalem. He spends a couple of days looking around, uh, to surveying the wall, surveying the damage, surveying everything that needed to be done. And then he called the people together. He got them organized. And he got the people uh, to start working on the walls. And you can go back again early in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 3, I think. And you can read how Nehemiah divided the people to different sections of the walls. And they were responsible for building those sections of the walls and building the gates that were in those sections of the walls. And by the way, this was all volunteer labor. They, were all, they all volunteered uh, for the task at hand to rebuild the walls. Now, again, I don't have time to go through it all this morning, but let me just tell you, they faced ridicule. The enemies around them said, well, what do you guys know about building? You're going to build this wall and, a, and an animal will run up and brush against it and it'll fall down. You, you have no idea what you're doing. When the ridicule didn't work, the enemies threatened physical danger. They said, when you least expect it, we're going to attack and we're going to kill the whole lot of you. You see, the enemies of God did not want the walls rebuilt. They did not want the protection that the walls provided for Jerusalem. And this was hard work. I mean, this was not easy labor. This was hard work. They, they, there was debris that had to be cleared away. They had to move all the, the stuff out, the, 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 the walls, that, the pieces that were demolished before they could start and build on the same foundation. And so it was hard work, and the people worked hard. And yet in the verses that Adam led us in reading a moment ago from Nehemiah chapter 6, we see the result of the building project. The result of what Nehemiah led the people to do. It said in verse 15, So the wall was finished in the 25th day of the month Elu in 50 and 2 days. 52 days. The walls around Jerusalem were rebuilt. And then notice what it says in verse 16. And it came to pass that when all our enemies heard thereof, when they heard that the walls were rebuilt... When they heard that the gates were reset. When they heard that the protection that the walls provided were there again for God's people. When all our enemies heard thereof, and all the heathen that were about us saw these things, they were much cast down in their own eyes, 
because of this. For they perceived that this work was wrought of our God. They perceived, they understood that this was not a work of man, but a work of God. Yes, it was Nehemiah that organized the project, but it wasn't a work of man. Yes, it was man that laid the brick and applied the mortar, but it wasn't a work of man. It was a work of God. It had to be. It couldn't be a work of man. Men put their effort and energy into it. They volunteered. And when the ridicule came, they kept on. And when the, the physical threats came, they kept on. And when the hard work continued day after day after day, they kept on. Men don't do that for a work of men. But men do that <coughs> for a work of God. Amen. For a work of God. And here's what they said. We're rebuilding it to bring honor and glory to our God. Jerusalem was his city. (coughs) The Jews were his people. His house, the temple, was located there. Again, without the walls, they were subject to attack. They were subject to the affliction. And it was a reproach. Again, the enemy and the heathen that were around them, they looked at the city of Jerusalem and said, boy, the God of the Jews must not be much of a God. He can't even protect his own people. But when the walls were rebuilt, when the walls were standing, when the protection were provided, the reproach was removed because people saw the walls and said, man couldn't do this, only God could do this. The God of the Jews must be somebody. The God of the Jews must be something. This morning, we dedicate another work of God, a new building. It's not a work of man. It has to be a work of God. You see, I realize firsthand, I realize that we could not have done that as a work of man. Because you see, there's a lot of hard work that went into that building. Yes, we paid some people to do certain parts of it. But there were countless hours of volunteer labor that went into that building. There were countless hours that represent the effort and energy of people's lives. And if it was a work of man... If it was a work just to glorify some man or to set up some man, people wouldn't have devoted those hours. They wouldn't have devoted parts of their lives that they spent up here working. They wouldn't have given the almost $800,000 that's going to cost uh, when, when we're done with it. They wouldn't have done that if it was a work of man. But it wasn't a work of man. It was a work of God. And that building out there and this one and the one that connects the two are are here for the same purpose that the walls of Jerusalem were, to bring honor and glory to our God. To our God. That building, as this one, will be used to point men and women and boys and girls to Jesus Christ. To tell them that God loves them. To tell them that God sent his son, his only begotten son, to die for their sins. You see, the Bible tells us that we're all sinners. There's none righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And again, if we're honest with ourselves, we will agree with the Bible. 
We are all sinners. You don't have to go past the Ten Commandments to realize. We don't have to go past the Ten Commandments to realize that we're sinners. I mean, the, one of the Ten Commandments says, Thou shalt not bear false witness. If you're here this morning and never told one lie in your whole life, raise your hand. I don't see any hands. That means we're all sinners. Another of the Ten Commandments says, honor your father and your mother. One of the parts of honoring our father and our mother is to obey them. If you're here this morning and never, never, ever disobeyed mom and dad, raise your hand. Again, I don't see any hands. We're all sinners. We're going to use that building. We're going to use this building to tell men and women and boys and girls that they're sinners. We're going to use these buildings to tell them that there's a penalty for that sin. The wages of sin is death. But we're going to use these buildings to tell them the good news. That when we could not pay for our sins ourselves, God paid the price for us. He sent his only begotten son to live among us. He lived a a life that was exemplary. He was tempted in all points like as we, yet without sin. He allowed mankind to nail him to a cross. And as as, as Jesus hung on the cross, God took all of my sins and he took all of your sins and put them on his son. And Jesus paid the price for our sins. That's what we're going to use that building for. To bring honor and glory to the God that loved us so much that while we were yet sinners, he sent his son to die in our place. We're going to use that building and we dedicate it this morning to that purpose. To tell people that God loves them. To tell them that they're sinners. That there's a penalty for that sin. But that Jesus paid the penalty. And if they'll receive the gift that he purchased for them on Calvary. He'll wipe away their sins. Dress them in the righteousness of Christ and make them part of God's family. John chapter 1, verse 12, the Bible says, But as many as received him, Jesus Christ, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. That's what we're going to use that building for. That's what we use this building for. That's what we use all these buildings around here for. To tell people that God loves them. That they're sinners. There's a penalty for sin. Jesus paid the penalty if they'll receive the gift of the payment that he made. They can, they, they can, they can be made one with God. But we're going to tell them something else. We're going to tell them that God has a plan for their life. That they're not just here by accident. They're not just here by coincidence. That they were, that they were born according to God's plan. And that God has a will for every one of their lives. And if they'll give themselves to God and seek that will, he'll show them what it is. And they can live their life for the purpose for which they were created. They can live a life that God has designed for them to live. And and, and in fulfilling the purpose that he made them for, they can know the peace and the joy, the peace that passeth understanding, the joy unspeakable and full of glory that comes from knowing that you belong to God and you're living a life that he's designed you to live. In a few minutes, we're going to go out to that building. We're going to have lunch. We're going to use it. Tell you the truth, we've already been using it. Nobody tell the city officials because we don't have the, what we need yet, but we've been using it. 
gee, I hope there's nobody here from the city. (laughs) (laughs) We could go Wednesday night. We had Awana out in that building. Program that we have on Wednesday night for the kids. We have fun. We play games. They have refreshments. But we also tell them about Jesus. Tell them the same thing that I've been telling you the last few minutes. We could go Wednesday night. We had a couple little girls. One of our ladies took the Bible and sat down with them. Told them that they were sinners. Told them what Jesus did for them. And both of those little girls asked Jesus to be their Savior. They said, hey, I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus died for me. And that, la- that lady showed them how they could ask Jesus to apply the payment that he made for their sin to their life. And they became part of God's family. If you're here this morning and you've never done that, wouldn't you like to join them? Wouldn't you like to make that same decision? Wouldn't, wouldn't you like to know that your sins were paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ And that payment has been applied to your debt. Wouldn't you like to know that God in heaven takes your sin debt and stamps it paid in full because you've received Jesus Christ? You could do that this morning. We'll help you. And again, I'm not asking you to become a member of our church, although I think becoming a member of our church is a pretty good thing. I'm not asking you to do that. I'm asking if you've never joined the family of God to join it this morning. You do that by simply admitting to God that you're a sinner and claiming, taking the gift of eternal life that he's purchased for you on Calvary by the death, burial, and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. He offers it to you. And I can't think of a better day than on this day that we dedicate this work of God, this work that God has done among us. I can't think of a better day for you to make that decision. And again, we'll help you. You come. In just a second, we're going to stand and we're going to sing another song. We're going to sing a closing song. If you'll come up front during that song, I'll have somebody, one of our folks, take the Bible and show you from the Bible how you can ask Jesus to be your Savior. How you can ask him to apply the payment he made for your sin to your sin bill. Would you do that this morning? Which, that's why you're here. You say, well, preacher, I just came. I came for the food. That's, that's fine. We're glad you came for the food. But God wanted you here for another reason. He wanted you to hear, to hear the gospel. He wanted you to hear how you could know for sure that your sins are forgiven, that you're part of the family of God, that you're loved by him. Would you come? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for making it so simple. So simple that even the the little children out in the fellowship hall and the other service can understand that you loved them, that you sent your son to die for them, to pay the price for the sin debt they owed. And if we just simply come and receive it, you'd make us one of your children. And so I, I pray you'd help the adults in this room this morning understand that same thing. If there's somebody here that's never asked Christ to be their Savior, Help them, Father, to see this morning that they're a sinner. There's a penalty for that sin. It's being separated from you forever. But that Jesus paid the penalty on Calvary's cross. 
And he offers the gift of life, being together with you. He offers the gift of life to every person that would come and take it. And I pray that you would speak to hearts this morning, Holy Spirit. I pray that you would draw people to the Savior. Help them to come in just a moment. Let us take the Bible and show them from your word what it is to ask Jesus to be their Savior. Just bless this time of invitation. I ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.